right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Pirate Rewind. I'm your host for this episode, Ryan Johnston, and I'm joined by the lovely Jimmy Bliss and the always prolific Louis Pasquale. Um, We are going over the men's and women's soccer seasons today, but before we get into that, how are you both doing today? Doing great, Ryan. We're just about a month away from the next soccer season started, getting started, and uh, I could not be more excited to see what the men's team and what the women's team can do in 2021-2022. Yeah, I'm also doing fantastic, and you're right, Jimmy. The schedule came out. I saw those games are approaching quickly. I really am just so excited to watch both these teams play. Yeah, you know, you guys both mentioned the future, but before we go back, before we go look into the future, we're going to go back into the past, going into last season. You know, the men's soccer team, starting out with them, they were ranked behind some of the other Big East teams, like, you know, Providence and St. John's. These teams were both in the top 25. I think St. John's started up the season as number 22, and Providence was also, like, number 17 or something like that to start out. Um, but, you know, the Pirates quite clearly surpassed expectations this season. But why do you think the expectations were so low? Because, you know, uh, they played incredibly throughout the entire year. Well, I think part of the reason is that the Big East is just known for soccer, which is something that I was not really sure of when I first came to Seton Hall. But as I got on a scene uh, of soccer and the various teams in the Big East, the Big East is for real when it comes to soccer. So they, the Big East had the defending national champions in Georgetown. Then, as you mentioned, uh, I believe you said St. John's. They're a, a Seton Hall rival. They always give us problems, uh, whether it be basketball, soccer, regardless of record, St. John's is going to compete with Seton Hall. Seton Hall is going to compete with St. John's. Um, and also teams like Butler and Providence are also really, really good. And we look at these teams and we say, okay, yeah, they're, they're all right. But then we look at nationally and they all seem to be ranked almost every year. And like, we think they're good, but then they also stack up really well nationally. So I think the Big East as a whole is just a really good division. And that played a really big part into why Seton Hall was ranked lower than they should have been. That's definitely true. And on one of our episodes of PTV FC, which is on our sister channel, uh, PTV, the radio station on site, we actually had a discussion about who the best conferences are in college soccer and Louie was adamant about it being the Big East and I mean he brought up some very very good arguments I mean Georgetown fantastic Seton Hall another very good school Providence has always been good St. John's has had a very very good program since my dad was in college back when he graduated from St. John's in 1989 so he's been he knows how good this team is and how good St. John's can be. They had a little bit of a down year this year, but I expect them to be back again next year. As for why Seton Hall's expectations were down, I'd have to look back to the 2019 season and just read off a little bit of what they did. They went 6-9-1 in 2019, so not the worst, but not the best. But when you look into their wins, three of their wins came against subpar opposition. That was Central Connecticut State University, NJIT and Fordham and Central Connecticut State University actually have a little bit of a history there because I used to live in Connecticut for those that don't know and I lived not too far away from them had a lacrosse tournament there on on, uh, Central Connecticut State University's campus so that was when I was like three years old though so uh, that was really really far back and uh, that year 2019-2020 they scored 22 goals and conceded 21 so again a plus one goal differential not fantastic not bad just kind of average and they only have one senior on their team that was Andreas Nota 
And apart from him, everyone was really unproven, a lot of young talent, a few transfers. You had Maurice Williams, who did really, really well this year at the back from Cincinnati. And a lot of these players, like James Boot, he that was his first year starting. He was a sophomore and had a fantastic year. CJ Tebling came back as a junior, and he didn't have the greatest sophomore year. So there was a lot of talent that it was unproven at the highest level. They, they showed signs of being good, but nothing really came into fruition during the 2019 season. So when you combine all of those together, you think that there could be a potentially top five, top six team in the Big East, but they ended up being probably the best team in the Big East this past year, and it made us all very, very proud back home. Yeah, Jimmy, I think you really hit the, the nail on the head, uh, especially with those transfers, you know. Um, Maurice Williams and especially Luca Don uh, coming, this was his first year too, and they were that center back partnership at the back for the entire year. They Pivotal role. I mean, they, they just had were so consistent all year long for them. And um, that coupled with the, I don't want to say lackluster, because it's not like they were terrible. It was just that they were sort of mediocre. Uh, I mean, the season before that, they were also, I think, six, seven, and two uh, in 2018. So, um, not exactly, you know, the best seasons right there for that men's uh, soccer team. So it's understandable. We're not known as a soccer, or at least we weren't known as a soccer school or a football school. Maybe that we are. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll change. Maybe that'll change, especially uh, going into next season. But before we, you know, skip ahead. Why don't we uh, break down some of the tactics that we saw the men's team employ this year? You know, what were they doing? What made them so successful? So when we dive deep into the tactics, we definitely have to discuss that they didn't come out with every game with the same mentality. Some of them, they were more attacking. Some of them, they were more defensive. Like when they were playing more of the bigger schools, they played a little bit more on the counter, a little bit more defensive, because naturally that's what you're going to do when you're playing a more talented team. If you play too attacking against the Villanova, not the Villanovas, the Georgetowns and the Indianas and the Vatex of the world, you're going to get caught out a little bit, and that leaves your defense and your goalie exposed, and that's a goal waiting to happen for the opposition. So when they are playing an inferior team, they do play a lot more attacking, and a lot of their movement and a lot of the balls actually come through the middle. They play a lot through James Boot. They play a lot through... Dennis, uh, excuse me, Ricky Jarvie, actually. He's a CDM, and he kind of plays the ball forward up to T-Bling and, and uh, J.P. Marin as well. So a lot of it, it comes through the middle. But then they also have the ability, when need be, to go out wide with guys like Dennis Kelmendi and Johannes Pext playing left back and right back. So they play a little bit, I want to say a little bit like Bayern Munich when they play against these inferior teams where they're possession-heavy, they are up-tempo, they, they press high, and they really get the most out of their players when they go centrally, but also out wide. They have the ability to have their fullbacks cross the ball with Pex and Kelmendi, similar to how they've done it at Bayern Munich with Alfonso Davies and Benjamin Pivar over the past few years. But defensively, they play a lot of counterattack. They play a little bit like Man United when uh, they play against uh, better teams, against superior teams, where they kind of play defensively and then try to hit with the break and have someone hit a ball deep to CJ Tebling, have him pulled up the play and have either JP Marin, James Boot, 
or someone else come in and try to clean up what they started and try to score a goal. So they definitely do have two different tactics that like to employ. It just depends on who they're playing against, which one they're actually going to go forward with. And to your point, Jimmy, it really is amazing how much versatility they have in their side because with the two tactics, as you mentioned, their left and right backs could easily be named as, as left forward and right forward simply because of how much they push up the pitch. I remember we uh, we covered a few games for PTV, um, the, the TV station, and me and Jimmy would just comment on how much Giannis Pex is running. He would just run up and back and up and back. And it was really amazing to see him do that. And he was – he – did it for the entire game. They didn't take him out. He played almost like every minute of every game. And that is such a big factor in both the defense and the offense because he had impact on both sides. But I think an underrated aspect of uh, Seton Hall's offense is actually uh, uh, Andres Nota, the goalie, because what he can do is he's really good at either throwing or kicking the ball to his team. And very rarely will you see him make a bad pass. So usually the, the pass is on the mark and it'll start up the offense um, wherever it needs to be. I mean, if, if the, if the other team is pressing very high, then he can lob a pass into the midfield to one of the players that you mentioned. Or if they're not pressing so high, then he can start it with the back line at the defense. Um, and also the midfield that you did talk about, I think that they're amazing because they were able to to have like a, like a, not, it wasn't always a triangle, but they would be able to pass quickly in the midfield without losing possession to a team that's pressing. And not, not very many teams can do that, uh, at least at this level. Uh, in the pros, they probably can do that all like easily. But Seton Hall was very good at quick passes, quick touches, and being able to keep the ball from a team that's pressing. So that's another part of the tactics that I really like to watch this year. Um, and uh, uh, it was really fantastic of them that they were able to do that. And it helped them. Uh, we obviously saw the results this season. They won the Big East. What both me and Jimmy have talked about are a large part as to why they did that. Yeah, you know, I think you guys both hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, Jimmy, I remember we were commentating that Big East championship game against Georgetown, and it just seemed like Georgetown was just suffocating Seton Hall with possession at times, but they just couldn't break through. The, the defense held strong. Uh, it was like that counterattacking play that you mentioned. They literally, Seton Hall just got a ball up top quickly to C.J. Teebling, and he scored in the second half, and they just literally went back for the rest of the game. They just parked the bus. It was and all hands on deck, Ryan. Everyone went back and did all that they could. Exactly. Like it was, um, and it's not, a, it's not a bad strategy at all. I mean, that's, that's how they uh, were suited to play. And that's how they played in the tournament uh, too. I think Indiana caught on to it a little bit more, um, especially because, you know, Seton Hall, I, I've noticed they like to try over top through balls from like Luka Don and uh, someone like that uh, to the outside wingers. And Indiana was just reading those really well. Um, so I think that's part of the reason that they lost, but that's another big part of their strategy. I think try and get the ball over the top to someone like JP Marine, or even just play it straight over the top to CJ Tabling because he's so strong and so controlled with the ball at his feet most of the time that, uh, he can hold the play really well. But, um, we've talked about the the tactics. We talked about their expectations. Um, what was one game this season that made you guys say, okay, this team is legit they they have a chance to do something this year well this one is really easy for me uh and i'm this, this directly is based off of the tactics that we just talked about seton hall versus st john's february 27th this day was a great day for a few reasons uh first off i was announcing with the amazing christian gardner everybody loves christian 
Um, it was my announcing debut here at WSOU Sports. So that was awesome. And it was on my birthday. So that this day was just like a, my dream come true. Like literally I dreamt about this. Like I want to announce sports on my birthday. And then it finally happened. So it was a fantastic day. Oh, and by the way, Seton Hall won this game. Made it even better. Um, but as for the tactics, uh, this is why I liked it. Pavel Rihijarvi scored in the second minute of the game. Uh, and then Seton Hall proceeded to defend for the next 88 minutes and did not concede a single goal. The final score was 1-0. Seton Hall beat St. John's, who is a rival uh, of, of Seton Hall. Like I said before, as, as St. John's plays Seton Hall really well all the time. And they did a fantastic job of defending because uh, on the other side of the pitch was def uh, reigning uh, Big East Player of the Year, Tani Olawashie. And um, it was funny because this little side note, Christian kept saying his name wrong, but only in the second half. The first half, he was fine. The second half, he kept saying his name wrong. He almost cursed on air. That would be really bad. But uh, that was just a little, a little side note. Um, but he had probably eight or nine shots on target against Seton Hall. Um, but none of them went in as Andres Nota stepped up, and he could have had a lot more if it wasn't for the Seton Hall defense. So this game I was watching, and I was like, wow, this team is really good because they showed that uh, they scored a goal uh, on offense, and they didn't, although they were sitting back and they definitely had to play um, closer to their goal because they didn't want to concede, they still were having offensive chances. Like, it wasn't like, the, the after they scored, the possession wasn't 70 30 in favor of St. John's. They still had the ball. They still were moving up the pitch. They still were trying to score. It just happened that they weren't able to. So they did a great job of doing both of those things at the same time. It was really fun to watch, really great to commentate. And that was the game I watched. And I was like, wow, this team is for real. So it took me a little bit longer to recognize how good the Seton Hall team is. I'm a very patient person. I don't really like to grasp at straws and get too excited too quickly as a Jets fan. I've come to do this throughout my entire life. But so the game that I saw from Seton Hall where I thought, wow, this team can really, really do a lot of damage was the 1-1 draw against Georgetown at home. I was lucky enough to be there with the Louis Pasquale with PTV and we were covering that game. And I remember looking over at Louis a bunch of times and saying, wow, we're really putting this, you know, putting them to the sword right now. We have them on the back foot for the entire game. I know we were losing for a lot of the game as Georgetown scored in, I believe it was the 50th minute. And then it wasn't until the 80th minute where Eden O'Leary equalized. But prior to that, it was a very, very good tactical game from Seton Hall. And they were able to really go forward, attack very well and defend very well. It was just one fluke goal. I remember it came off of a set piece and it was just kind of a lucky hit. And I believe it was Nota that misjudged it and ended up going into the back of the net. Never should have happened. Uh, but from that point forward, it was all Seton Hall. It was all Pirates. They were really on the back foot, the Hoyas. And the reigning Big Ten, uh, excuse me, Big East player of the year last year was Jacob Montez, the Georgetown midfielder, who's now playing for Crystal Palace in the Premier League had tryouts for Manchester United and for Borussia Dortmund as well when he was growing up. So he was a really, really, really good player. But he was silent all game long. I think that you and I, Louis, said his name maybe three, four times the entire game because he really did nothing. For a player as influential as him, he was shut down. Ricky Jarvie was just all over him. Luca Don, Maurice Williams didn't give him an inch, and he was unable to do anything got frustrated I remember he had a few tackles and 
a few bad fouls just because of his frustration. But Seton Hall, they went toe-to-toe. They out they got outshot by four shots, 18-14 to 14 in favor of Georgetown, but they forced the goalie, Ethan Kohler, to make six saves, which was two more than what Andreas Nota had to make. And I remember he had to make a few very, very good saves. I believe it was Razamir had a good opportunity. CJ Teeling had another good opportunity as well. But that's when I really thought that the Seton Hall team could do it, when they were able to host the number three team in the nation at that time in Georgetown, go toe-to-toe, should have won that game, didn't. But I thought at that point in time, they were able to go on and do a lot of damage in the future. And Jimmy, to your point, uh, I knew Seton Hall was good at that point, but I mean, I, I knew that they were for real at that point. It was real. But I, to be fair, I didn't know what to expect from Seton Hall against a team of the caliber of Georgetown. And you're right. They came out and just absolutely did what they needed to do. They didn't win. That's honestly fine. They did a fantastic job. They did everything but win. We'll take the one point. That was a great game to watch. Yeah, so I'm actually in the middle of, of your two guys' choices. Um, I'm, I'm thinking their first game against Providence this season, uh, Saturday, March 13th, when they beat Providence 2-1. to one. And at the time, Providence was ranked 13th in the nation. Um, obviously, they fell out of that. I don't think they were ranked at the end of the season. They may have gotten a couple of votes to be ranked, but um, they weren't. They weren't close to being in that top 25. I think they were like 30, 34th or something like that. But at the time, you know, they were they were 13th in the nation. And this was Providence team that I think Seton Hall has struggled with a bit in the past. And, you know, coming in, um, it wasn't like insanely dominant or anything like that. You know, stats were pretty even on both sides. But just getting a win over an opponent of that caliber at the time, I thought was huge. Uh, you know, that St. John's victory was also big because they were just out of the rankings at that point, too. Um, they, they, because they were ranked to start the season and they had lost one of their early season games, they fell out or something like that. But I thought that Providence game was a huge uh, confidence booster for them moving forward, you know, beating an opponent ranked that highly. And um, it, I think it showed the rest of the season with, with how they played against some teams like Georgetown, quite frankly. Um, you know, they, they came in, they lost to Georgetown the first time, a really close match in OT. Georgetown was the better team on that day, but uh, we saw how it played out against Georgetown for the rest of the season. And uh, a little bit of different results right there. And I think that Providence game had something to do with it. But um, I am going to throw a little bit of a curveball for you, for you guys here because I didn't include this on the rundown. That's my bad. But um, I think it's a question that needs to be answered, and I have a feeling that I know your guys' answers, or at least one of your guys' answers for this question, but is what was your favorite moment of the season for this Pirates team? This is a really good question, Ryan. So my favorite moment of this season, I'd probably say Andreas Nota's goal, his uh, penalty kick shootout against Virginia Tech when he was able to convert his penalty, because you never, ever see goalkeepers first save a pen and then turn around and say, I'm going to end this game right here, right now. He was able to step up. He was able to silence everyone. Even I was in the studio at WSU sports with Wilner Lewis and then heaven Hill was on the call as well as Michael Daly. And I was talking to Wilner. We were both freaking out. I was saying, why is he doing this? Why is he walking up? But he silenced me so quickly. He was able to perfectly slot home that, that penalty kick into the top corner it was just a thing of beauty from Andreas Nota, and I'll never doubt him ever again. 
I think that that has to be one of the all-time great moments in the program history. Oh, yeah, I agree completely. And I don't know if that's where it started, but I think that definitely helped coin the nickname of Andreas Gotha because he literally was the GOAT that game. He did everything. Um, for me, I'm going to forget which game it was in, but it was when C.J. Tiebling hit like an absolute screamer of a, a shot and it made it onto SportsCenter's top 10. I, it could have been earlier that game or the game before. It might have been against Air Force. I think it was against Air Force. It was in the, the College Cup. I believe it was against Air Force. I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was against Air Force. Yeah, and um, I'm, get, I'm getting nods from you guys. So we'll, we'll say it's a, in the Air Force game. Um, he, he, he brought the ball to his right foot. I believe it was his right foot. And he just struck it with so much power, sailed into the top corner. Uh, it was fantastic right past the goalkeeper goalkeeper if it was I don't know if Manuel Neuer would have saved that it was a rocket of a shot um it was amazing uh that was although I would want to say Andres Nota saving and then scoring a penalty CJ Tiebling is definitely up there yeah I knew someone had to choose Andres Nota because that was just an incredible moment but I I'm gonna go with that Big East championship game uh the first time in so long it's been like 20 I don't know exact the exact number but 20 30 years since they last won it and um, just such a huge accomplishment uh, from the team especially like you know we said coming in they had such low expectations to come and turn it around like that um, just really incredible stuff and to do it against a team like Georgetown who were the reigning national champions who they lost to earlier in the season and coming back and get the, getting their revenge honestly I don't think you could write uh, a better storyline for that game than the Pirates already did. So, um, yeah, I, I've got to go with that Big East Championship game. It, it was even better because, you know, I got to call with my man Jimmy. Um, it, it, was, it was a great game to call. And, uh, yeah, I think that was a great moment. But moving on to uh, a few more questions here, then we'll wrap up men's soccer. But, um, you know, I think an X factor is something that, goes underappreciated for a lot of teams in sports like the Bucks championship. I would have said that X factor was probably Bobby Portis. And, uh, you know, he, he played a great series for the Bucks. But um, who do you think this X factor was for the Pirates uh, this season? Well, I think there's a clear answer here, but I'm not going to say it because I'm going to let Jimmy have that one. Uh, so I'm going to go with defender Luka Don. And I think that because of this, he came from Germany. He transferred to Seton Hall for last year's uh, season, and he played really, really well. He was in the on the back line uh, doing his thing, helping Seton Hall win games defensively because he didn't really score too much, but he was a leader at his position. He was a team leader, and he was just so solid, so fun to watch because I got to give my – my fellow defender some love. Because when I played soccer, I wasn't very good. So I played defense. So I got I to gotta give him some love here, uh, you know, sometimes when, when we're talking about soccer. So I got to go with Luka Dong. I might not go for the obvious one, but everyone that knows me knows how much I appreciate and love this guy. So I'm just going to go out and say it. It's got to be James Boot. James Boot is the facilitator. He is the heartbeat of this team. He had nine assists all from set pieces this year, and he just knows where to put the ball every single time he steps up to take it. It doesn't matter if it's a free kick, if it's a corner, no matter what it is, no matter what place on the field, he just knows where to place it. And it will go to Maurice Williams, Luca Don, Rihi Jarvi, 
any of those three guys because they're all just so tall, so strong, so good in the air. I think that every team needs someone like James Boot. And from now on, I think I'm going to call him the set-piece king just because he knows so much about the game. There's so much going on in his head, and he just makes it look so easy every time. In my opinion, he was the best player of the season. I'm, I'm so, so high on this guy. I play defense just like you, Louie, but I appreciate midfielders so much. They have to do so much in the game, especially central midfielders that have to go up. They have to come back and defend. They have to pretty much attack like a striker and defend like a defender. And that's what James Wood was able to do this year to a T. And I really am going to look forward to his junior year and his senior year here at Seton Hall. Yeah, well, you guys both defenders. And uh, I'm actually going to go for a defender. I, I was a midfielder. I'm going to go for a defender in uh, Maurice Williams. I think he probably was the obvious choice uh, because he just impacted the game in so many different ways. You know, we saw it uh, in Marquette, in that Marquette game in the Big East uh, semifinals where he scored really early on, gave the Pirates a 2-0 lead, um, you know, just really kind of gave them a cushion that they needed. Uh, going forward in that game and obviously they won it four to one and you know his effort on the defensive end was prevalent all season long I, I remember early in that Indiana game I was like wow he he probably just stopped two goals from being saved because he was just throw himself in front of the shots and, and block them so um, yeah I mean his effort and even on offense you know we mentioned his goal but he, he would come up sometimes just on corners or um you know, get a nice pass over the top. He, he was really, um, when he was on, the Pirates were on, I think, all season long. And um, he may be the obvious answer, but I, I've got to give him some love, man. I got to give him a quick shout out. Um, but, you know, we talked about that Indiana game a little bit. Uh, obviously, you know, Pirates went on a huge run to end the season, but they lost in the Indiana to Indiana in the Elite Eight, excuse me. And uh, late in the first half, there was a thunder delay that around 40, 45 minutes on the bus, um, <laughs> me and Michael Daly, we were just sitting there because we didn't know what to talk about. Um, well, you could only say the same thing so many times. But, um, yeah, do you think this game would have ended differently had there been no thunder delay? Do you think they got cold on the bus? And that's what really messed them up because no goals were scored in the first half up to that point and immediately after a goal was scored. I think it could have had an impact, but I don't know how big of an impact it truly was. I think Indiana was the better team, and I think that they were always going to win that game. But, of course, sitting on a bus for 45 minutes during a, a thunderstorm is never going to boost your confidence, especially as the underdog. And Seton Hall does have the ability. They usually grow into games as the game progresses. They're usually – they start off, and they're usually not the quickest starting team. They – they might get a chance here or there early on, but they usually feel out the opposition first and then they're able to figure the game out. And they did grow into that game pretty well, but ultimately with the delay, they had their momentum and then the delay came and it just kind of ruined everything. And it just put the ball back in Indiana's corner. They were able to score pretty quickly afterward. And then they scored just after halftime as well. And that was all she wrote. They just... Seton Hall just wasn't clinical enough. That was it. I mean, Indiana had three shots and they had two goals. That's the clinicality that you want if you're going to be a championship team. 
Unfortunately, Seton Hall on that day, they didn't have that clinicality. They had 15 shots and none of them were able to hit the back of the neck. I remember Razamir had a fantastic opportunity. I was jumping up and down in my dorm room thinking that was going to go in and that was going to be the equalizer, but fortunately that's not how the cookie crumbled. I think that if Seton Hall was more clinical, then they would have been able to go through and get to that final four. And who knows what could have happened. They could have gone on to win the championship. But ultimately, I don't really think that the weather delay changed the outcome of the game too much. Yeah. I mean, did it have an impact? A hundred percent because the it happened in like the 42nd minute. And then when they came back in the three minutes before halftime, Indiana scored. But I think if the weather doesn't happen, I think Seton Hall still might come out on the short end of this game because it, the Indiana is just such a good team. And it would have been Seton Hall's underdog, as you said, Jimmy, would have been very hard for them to win. Could they have done it? Yeah, I have faith in this team. I'll stand by this team until I can't anymore. I can't stand anymore. Uh, but, you know, uh, Seton Hall, it, would, it's a very, it was a very hard game for them to win. Um, thunderstorm or no thunderstorm. So it's hard for me to say, oh, yeah, 100% they would have won. Uh, the thunder ruined it. Um, that, that's how I think. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I do have to agree with you both. It, it's frustrating to me because the Pirates are really starting to get some momentum back in that game because Indiana was on the front foot for like a solid 15 minutes. And then the Pirates, you know, they started getting the ball back. They started putting some pressure on Indiana. And right as that happens, the thunder strikes or rumbles, whatever you want to say. And, um, you know, the game's delayed for 45 minutes. So it's, it's really just the timing of that that makes me wonder because if they could have uh, somehow snuck a goal in before halftime, uh, I think it would have been a completely different game because, like, like I said, they were starting to get back on the front foot a little bit more. Um, but I agree with you guys. I think Indiana was definitely the better team. Um, they, they were just sort of reading the Pirates on offense a lot. You know, I said, like the earlier in the show, I said uh, that they were getting those over-the-top through balls and the Pirates, like they were just reading those uh, like a book. It, it was just flat-out simple for them. They'd clearly done their film sessions. Um, yeah, it would have been a difficult game for the Pirates to win. I think it would have been easier for them to win, um, but it, it, was, it would have been a difficult one either way just because Indiana really is a quality squad. And um, it's unfortunate the Pirates had to come up against them, but it is what it is. And um, on that note, you know, we've talked about pretty much everything, I think, last season that the Pirates did. Um, moving forward, what do you think this means for the program? Uh, do you think that they can carry this momentum forward? Was this a one-season wonder? What do you think it means for recruits? Give me your, give me your thoughts. Well, I'm excited for this season, and not only because it's only about a month away, but because Seton Hall had very few seniors last year, and most of the seniors they did have are graduate students or coming back somehow, uh, and I don't even want to ask questions. I'm just happy they're here. Um, this is a young team. Uh, you know, the star striker, CJ Teebling, is not a senior. I thought he was, and I looked at the roster before the show, and I realized he's a junior, and I was like, well, that's awesome because he's going to be back for another year. Um, I feel like it's like a video game where like you assemble this like really good team and then you can just play with them again next year because it's a video game and you don't have to like abide by the rules of like professional, you know, FIFA soccer. Uh, and everyone, they, they, okay. Everyone's young and they showed that they were able to play at a high level last year. Now this year, the only thing that's different is they have a year under their belt and a championship under their belt. So I think I, I you know, I don't want to knock on some wood. I don't want to jinx anything, but 
do, do I see a little, a little two-peat in the Seton Hall soccer's near future? What do you guys think? Don't want to speak too soon, but uh, I could see it happening. I knocked on wood. We're good. Yeah, we going back to bed. Yeah, so I'm going to agree with you, Louie. I think that expectations are going to be sky high this year, just exactly like what you said. I mean, there was just the one senior last year, and that's Andreas Nota, and Andreas Nota was a huge part of the team, and he's going to be missed dearly, especially in that locker room. He was a big leader, but I do think that with the other 10 outfield starters returning, it's going to be a great, great year. And with recruits, I actually did a little bit of digging, and it looks like we're going to be getting a new defender at Seton Hall, Ralph Pascalari, Pascarella, Pascarella, okay. As you can tell, I haven't been practicing my Italian, but uh, he's in the NYCFC Academy right now, and uh, he's actually a pretty promising player. So he's really, he could do a lot this year. He might not start that many games, but he'll come off the bench and he'll have a pretty impactful year, I think. And as for the future going forward, I mean, James Boot, who I just mentioned a few minutes ago, he'll be a junior, and junior year is usually where you have your biggest year. TJ Tiebling will be a senior. JP Moran will be a senior. The entire back line will be seniors as well. So I do think that this is a very promising year for the Pirates going forward, and I do think that if they're able to handle the pressure, we could definitely see them being in that top five, top ten the entire year and making a push for that national championship. I thought Andreas Nona was actually uh, able to come back because of the COVID uh, rules. Hey, am I wrong on that? Or I, I saw him on the roster when I was looking. I wasn't sure because I also I, I tried to make it 21, but I wasn't sure if it was 21. But I saw him and I got excited. So I'm just going to hope for the best. <laughs> okay, yeah, I didn't see that. But uh, yeah, I, I hope that he's coming back. So, so, Jimmy, does that mean all 11 are coming back then? Th yeah, then all 11 are coming uh, back. Oh, boys. This is this is looking really good for Seton Hall. The boys I mean, are back hey, together. I think that that's pretty good news right there. I mean, Georgetown is, is losing a lot Where's of their Turbo? players. Where's Turbo? Because we're running it back. <laughs> I mean, I think Georgetown's losing a lot of their players that they had this season to the MLS draft, too. Um, or at least some of their star players. I'm not sure if Polavara got drafted um, because he, you know, he was obviously their most prolific player the entire season, but um, I know that at least a couple of their midfielders got drafted in the later rounds of the MLS draft. So I think Seton Hall definitely has a good chance. It's going to be interesting to, to see how they perform with that pressure on them, because that's obviously not something they had this season. They, everyone this year should be expecting them to go out and do what they did last season. Um, and who knows that can change a team. Um, but you know, I think that with Andreas Lindbergh at the helm, at the helm, sorry, I, I don't see why they can't uh, go back to back. And you know, in terms of recruits, I think that this one season is huge for recruits alone because you know Andreas Lindbergh, uh, or yeah, Lindbergh, he he just showed that he could take a team full of players that he's coached for a while, find the right transfers for the team, and you know, do something great. And that's what they did this season. And I think that's going to be huge. I think a lot of players are, are going to want to look at Seton Hall now that didn't before. Um, so, yeah, I'm really optimistic for what the future holds uh, for this program. But uh, moving on to the women's soccer program, uh, they didn't quite have 
the successes that the men's soccer team did this season. Um, what, what really went wrong for them? What do you guys think went wrong? I think that a lot of the blame doesn't fall necessarily on the players. I think it falls, it falls upon the coaching. Now, I, would, I went to a few of the games this year, and I was able to broadcast a few of them as well. And a lot of the tactics that were set out were kind of puzzling to me. And I, I don't really understand what the point of just sitting back and defending for 90 minutes against some of these really, really good teams is. Like, you have some pretty good talent on your roster. And one, one woman that was on the roster that I wanted to see a lot more of, but I don't even know how much she even saw the field of this year, is Maria Garcia Lopez. She was number nine. She was a striker. She scored 27 goals and 10 assists for her former college before she came here to Seton Hall University for over the past two years. She also played for Villarreal in Spain formally. So she's got some talent to her. I think that if she gets the right coaching, she can be a really clinical striker and she could be definitely a good partner up top for whoever wants to come in and be her striking partner. They play a very, very defensive style like I just mentioned, and they don't get many shots a game. They only scored eight goals all year. They conceded 31 in 11 games. I think if you're here at Seton Hall and you're the coach of this women's soccer team, you got to play a little bit more attacking. You got to press a little bit higher because what you're doing right now, it, it's not exactly working. You definitely need to go a little bit more toe-to-toe and act- actually take a bite out of the game and not just sit back and be second best every ball and just watch the game go by you. Jimmy, I agree with you 100%. And uh, another tactical thing that I noticed when Seton Hall was playing was there was virtually no build-up play. Uh, The goalkeeper, Gordon, would either kick it to her back line and then the back line would send in a through ball or Grace Gordon would try sending in a through ball. And I also commentated one of of their games, uh, I believe it was against St. John's if I'm not mistaken, and so, so many times did Gordon, like, uh, throw in a pass and was either intercepted or it went out of bounds. And I was really amazed by this because that's something where you don't really have to, you don't have to, you know, be super skillful or, like, be above the field tactically for that to work. Simply give the ball to one of your teammates. I, I don't know. It was kind of baffling to me as to why that was going on because – uh, we, we kept seeing it happen over and over again. And I was like, okay, enough is enough. Like, let's get the ball to a teammate. But that wasn't the case. Um, and I also think much like how the men's, uh, the, the men's Big East is very, very competitive, so is the women's Big East. The women's Big East is also not to be messed with. Um, there are a lot of good teams in the women's Big East, and I think that's also part of the reason as to why, much like how the men's team, they were not ranked very highly because of the competition. I think that's why the women's team didn't play very well because they're a relatively young team and they were going up against very good competition. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of times it seemed like they were playing for a draw, like that Jose Mourinho sort of just parked the bus at nil-nil. Like, you got to go out there and, and do something to try and get a goal. Um, I remember I was watching that Georgetown game, and they just weren't physical enough. That's what it looked like. You know, the, the, the Georgetown players were just beating them to every ball. Um, and it was just kind of like – they just did the same tactic the entire game. I was like, what's going on? You know, you're losing, you got to switch something up and they did it and they lost by a lot because of it. Um, so 
I mean, not all the blame can go on the players for that. You know, that's their, they, they're playing for their coach. Their, their coach decides uh, how the team plays. And, and going off that, you know, the team has been struggling for some time now. The last winning season that they had was in 2011, and they had just six wins since 2017. Um, so this is a program that's, you know, had some turmoil. It's not exactly the most consistent program in terms of winning right now. Uh, do you think a coaching change is in order, or do you think we should stick with the current coach and, and wait it out? Yeah, so I'll go first on this one. So you never want to call for a person's job because, you know, that that's their full-time job. That's how they put money on the table. That's how they pay their taxes. But I think it might be in both best interests if uh, both Seton Hall parts ways with head coach C.R. Crinian. I, just for all the aforementioned items that we just talked about, I mean, she she hasn't really matched up tactically her team as well as she could have. And I think that this team is a lot more talented than their two-win season has to say. If you just look on at their team, Abby Roberts and Laura Hooper used to play for Arsenal's U19, U21 teams. Naomi Welsh has 19 caps for Scotland at the age of 21. And Danny Brinkman was the number 23 recruit in America in 2016 when she left high school. So just those four players alone, those should be some cornerstones to be able to have a pretty competitive team. And as we mentioned before, the tactics, they lost 4-0 to Georgetown, 5-0 to UConn, 3-0 to Georgetown, and then 4-0 to Providence. So, I mean, I, I don't really know how much nicer to put it other than we were just outmatched tactically in those games and none of the adjustments were made accordingly at this point i think it's best to look at other options i know they probably won't do it at this point but uh, after the season's over i think it might be best to look for someone else i agree jimmy and she's so uh, shown that she's had success uh, on at other schools um, but not as the head coach and that's something that kind of you know turns me off a little bit in terms of her because um it's she moved to head coach when she took over Seton Hall. Uh, and yeah, like being a head coach through a pandemic is not easy. So I don't want to take anything away from her because she did a great job of getting these girls to play hard, um, getting these girls to, I shouldn't say girls, women, getting these women to play hard, getting these women to compete in every game. Because although there are some games where they were out of it, but there weren't very many. They seemed to compete and play with a lot of heart in a lot of the games that they played this season or last season, I guess I should say. But for me, I wouldn't mind a coaching change. Um, a little bit of a culture change wouldn't be a bad thing either. Um, like I said, they all work hard. They all have heart. Um, after every loss, they all take it so hard. And um, it stinks to see for us because we just want to see them happy and successful. But it's not because of lack of caring or lack of trying. So a coaching change could be very well what Seton Hall needs. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to um, Sinian, they did – they did have five overtime games or five overtime games or five overtime losses. I'm not sure which. So it's not like they weren't competing in, in all of these games, but it's, they just couldn't find a way to win. It, it seemed like they just were too defensive most of the season in, in my eyes, at least. Um, yeah. It just seemed like they tried to just absorb pressure the entire game. And that doesn't work for most teams straight up you you have to get on the front foot at some point and 
it was really hard with their game plan to do that. It, it just, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's only her third season uh, as the head coach. So, our second season, sorry. Um, so, maybe a little bit more time would be warranted. But, you know, Cassie Harrigan and Laura Hooper were the team's leading scorers uh, and, and point getters by far. I mean, Cassie Harrigan had 12 points. Laura Hooper had eight points. The next best person had two. And they're both seniors this year. If they or they were seniors this year, if they graduate, decide not to come back, I think that's not good. Uh, maybe I'm looking at the roster wrong and um, they're seniors this year. It's, it's confusing to me because of COVID. I, everything's messed up. So I don't really know what exactly is going on with that. But It is very confusing. Yeah. yeah if, I same thing with Andres Nota. Is he coming back? Is he a graduate student? Was yeah. it last year? Is it this year? I don't know. But yeah, but I mean, if those two graduate, I mean, that could that could spell trouble for her next season. Uh, obviously, I'm hoping for the best, and um, I mean, I haven't heard any news of her getting fired or anything like that. So I, I hope she coaches uh, the women's soccer team to a better season next year. But on that, um, you know, what what do you think the women's soccer team should change to get back to a winning uh, form next season? You know, we've talked about it a little bit, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Yeah, so although I kind of called for a coaching change, uh, assuming that doesn't happen simply because she just hasn't had enough time to um, really develop with this team, I guess you could say. I mean, it's ideal to switch coaches and then to uh, to improve the team immediately, but that's not always the case. Uh, and so working with what they have, though, uh, transfers would definitely help. Uh, but no, I think just – I think a year of, of – of, um, uh, experience in the Big East under their belt. Like I said, this is a young team. This is a team that, uh, much like the guys' team, has a lot of room to grow. Um, because I actually think the guys' team can grow, but uh, beyond the point, this is a team that, and they also showed flashes, like you said, the two players you mentioned, also uh, Grace Gordon, the goalkeeper. Yeah, she uh, she faced a lot of shots, and that's what happens when you have a somewhat questionable defense. And although she gave up a decent amount of goals, she showed some signs of brilliance. There were some one-on-ones that I watched, and I just thought to myself, wow, I thought that was going to be a goal. And she pulled a, a really good save out of nowhere. So there are definitely some bright spots to this team. Um, like I said, the experience from last year is going to help. The fact that there's no COVID is going to help. Um, getting back to the normality of a regular soccer season is going to help. Uh, so all those things combined, and hopefully a little bit of better play from the players and a little bit better coaching. And I think Seton Hall can at least, you know, be in games, can compete, get a few wins, um, and just be competitive. There are three different things that I think this team can do to improve. One is a change in formation. And when I was announcing the St. John's game with Louie, we saw them play a three-back formation. And that made them a little bit more attacking. And it, it looked a lot better at least on paper, as well as on the field, what actually was the result. I mean, they were able to get on the front foot. They were able to win that game 3-2 in overtime, and that was a lot because of the way they were stretching out the opposition. Number two is I think they need to utilize Lauren DiPietro a little bit more. She's the right back, and every time that I would see her put in a cross, it would be a really, really, really good cross but I never truly understood why she was being held back and why she wasn't really being used as much as she should have. She, her crossing ability is second to none. She could be a winger with how good that she can cross the ball 
Like every time that she would cross the ball against St. John's, I'd look over to Louie and it'd be like, she's crossing the ball like she's Trent Alexander-Arnold out here. Everything is going right on point. Everything, it looks good. And it's given really good opportunities to the front line. They just couldn't convert. And the third thing I think that they should address is the midfield. Now, midfield is where the game is won and lost. If you don't have a good midfield, you're not going to win the game. And with Seton Hall, their midfielders were not very good this year. They were disappointing, to say the least. So you need to improve the midfield a little bit more, add, add a new few face uh, – excuse me, a new – a few new faces, tongue twister, try to say that one five times fast. But uh, it, if you don't have a great midfield, you're probably not winning many games at all. And if you don't have a good midfield, you're going to be forced to defend. And that's what they did for most of this year is they had to defend because their midfield couldn't go toe-to-toe with opposing midfields. So if they either have a change of formation, use you utilize DiPietro a little bit more, or if they – want to upgrade the midfield I think that next year is going to be a much much better year than this past year was yeah you know I think for me I think the main point that I would get it was really try to pressure the other team more because it seemed like at times like the other team would just sort of pass around their back just waiting uh for the Pirates defense to shift and try to pull them out pretty much um I think you need to apply a bit more pressure as, as a unit um and I also think Jimmy those I think overlapping runs for the wingback should be a big point because if DiPietro can swing in some good crosses, that, that should lead to some more goals, honestly. Um, I like what both of you guys are saying right there. And, Louie, you actually touched on my next question, which was about Grace Gordon. Um, I definitely think she was one of the bright spots this season for the Pirates. Like, she was absolutely incredible some games, if I'm being honest. Like, she had just a really, really good season. She had 62 saves. Um, you know, her save percentage, she was like at a 69 per save percentage. That's better than Leicester City and Chelsea had last year. Um, obviously, you can't really compare the two. Um, the Premier League is just a level above. Um, but can you talk about the role that she played for them during the season last year? Yeah, I touched on it a little bit. And her flash of brilliance and her games where she played well has so much more than just her being a good player. Not only is she a good player, but she's giving her team momentum, okay? If, if, if I'm a defender and I see my goalie make a great save, I'm going to get super excited. I'm going to be ready to defend the next time so that she doesn't have to make that save. Um, and then not only momentum, but she also can be a leader. She can get like on corners. I, I see her motioning her defenders and, and midfielders, telling them where to go. I think that's great. I think she needs to take a step up and do even more of that. And she's going to be a junior this year. Uh, and she could work on her distribution. I think that'll come. I think that'll come with experience um, because as we mentioned before, I, I had a little bit of a problem with that last year because of how, how all over the place it was and how inefficient it was. But she is a huge part of this team. And going forward these next two years, she's going to be an immense part of this team. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm here for it. I'm ready to see her improve. I'm ready to see her have an even better year than last year, which is when you think about it, it's, it, it seems hard for her to do, but I think it's very possible. The defense in front of her is a little bit better. I think it's going to help her numbers wise. And then not only that, but she's also going to pass the eye test by getting better. So she means so much to this team. Having a good goalie means having a good team, basically, in, in, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that she's going to be a big part of the reason that this team improves when they improve. 
Yeah, and Grace Gordon definitely has that first part of being a, a great goalkeeper down, and that's being a great shot stopper. And that's what comes first in being a goalie. I mean, she had 10 saves against Villanova late last year in the final game of the season, and it doesn't get much better than that. I mean, if you're able to get 10 saves against a team like Villanova, you got to be a pretty, pretty good keeper to do that. And like Louis mentioned, this distribution was a little bit of an issue at times last year, but like you, like you said, it'll come with age and first step is to be a good stop, shot stopper. And then the next step distribution, passing the ball, being able to see the field with a little bit of better vision that'll come with age. It'll be better. But I do think that when Grace Gordon does come back as a junior next year, she's going to be better. Like I mentioned earlier, junior year is a huge year. That's, that's what determines whether you can make the jump to the next level or if you can't. And I think that Grace Gordon, she's already had a phenomenal sophomore year. I think she could take it another step forward. I think she can continue to be a very, very good goalkeeper. And I'm excited to see what she can do in her junior year. She's definitely a cornerstone of the team in the future. And as long as she stays healthy, I think that she's going to be one of the best goalkeepers in the Big East next season. Yeah, you know, and I think another big aspect of her game that I really enjoyed watching was how well she came off her line. Because a lot of the times the Pirates would be on the back foot or something like that. And she was really good at reading when or when not to come out and either punch the ball or catch the ball from across, uh, you know, uh, through ball over the top, whether or not she needs to, or if she can push up and grab that. And, um, you know, coming off her line when it was in a one-on-one and trying to make a stop like that, I think she was pretty exceptional in that regard. Um, you know, some of her distribution, like you said, Louie, um, wasn't, wasn't the best, but, um, you know, everyone can improve. Uh, and I'm really optimistic to see what, what she can do this coming fall season because, uh, yeah, it was just a phenomenal sophomore season for her. And our superb, got to get that alliteration in there, superb sophomore season right there uh, from Grace Gordon, who has alliteration herself. So Your 10th grade English teacher would be proud. Oh, yeah, Mr. Fritz. Shout out Mr. Fritz, man. Um, but, you know, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Yeah, Grace Gordon, great sophomore season. Looking forward to seeing what she can do next year. Um, but, you know, we've talked a little bit about Cassie Harrigan and Laura Hooper, uh, both of whom were seniors last season, I believe. But they should be allowed to return given COVID eligibility roles because Andreas Nunes is being allowed to return even though he's already played – four years of college soccer. Uh, Given that these two return, I don't know whether or not they're going to return because I haven't heard anything about it. But uh, do you think the Pirates can come back and make some noise next year? Do you think that they can be a little bit better with these two players leading the charge? I definitely think that they can improve next year. And these two players are really two cornerstones of what a good program could be. You have your good midfielder and Laura Hooper. I'm a huge fan of Laura Hooper. Just like I said in the last segment, I'm a big fan of the midfielders. And this is the women's number eight, as opposed to the men's number eight, who I talked about last time with James Boot. Laura Hooper, she scored three goals. She had three assists last year. So she's a very good distributor of the ball. She's a bright spot in attack. And everyone needs a player like Hooper. She's just able to be all over the field offensively whenever she needs to. And she's also a pretty good defensive player too, which you don't see a lot especially at college soccer, you either see an attacking midfielder that is not great at defending or a defensive midfielder that's not great at attacking, but she's able to do both. 
She had two assists and three goals last year. So I could definitely see that improving next year. Then Harrigan, I think that she is an ideal number nine, in my opinion. She scored five goals, which is 63% of the team's goals last year. And she had two assists as well. So she's able to hold up the play very well whenever the team needs a counterattack. She's a great assister as well, as you can see with the two assists, which is a fourth of the team's assists. She knows just where to be about, and especially how to slow down the play, how to allow the runners to get forward, how to play a through ball as a striker. A little bit, I'm not going to compare her exactly to this player, but similarly to Harry Kane, she knows how to hold up the play, how to get the fall, the ball forward, and how to get the most out of not only her, but the rest of the players up top that are attacking with her. I could definitely see Harrigan having a great breakout year next year. I agree with you, Jimmy. And if Seton Hall is going to get better, it's going to be through these two players. You touched on basically everything that I wanted to say. Um, but yeah, I, I really hope they come back. Uh, I am not sure. I, I tried looking at the roster, but as we mentioned before, it's very confusing. Hopefully they'll get that straightened out before the season begins. Cause I want to know, are these two going to be back? Um, I'm going to hope for the best. I'm going to be optimistic. I think they are going to be back. Um, and like you said, Jimmy, they're going to be, they're going to be the offense. They're going to be in the midfield. Um, and they're going to be in the, a part of the back line as well, doing everything they can to help Seton Hall get better, Seton Hall improve. Now in terms of making noise, I think this team can improve, but I don't know if they're in a position where they'll be able to fight for a Big East championship. I think they're still a few years away from that, but I think they'll be able to look better than they have in, you know, recent memory. Um, assuming these players come back. Yeah, I mean, I hope they come back because they scored eight of the nine goals that the women's team scored last season. So we might be in for a bit of drought on offense if they don't come back just because they were such pivotal parts. I mean, highlighting Harrigan specifically, uh, she had nine, five goals on 19 shots. Sorry, that, that's, that is a really good percentage right there. That's 26.3% uh, shots per, per goal. Like, that is elite. That is an elite efficiency right there. And, and you know, Jimmy, you already talked about Laura Hooper. I, I don't have much to add about her, but she played great last season too. And um, I kind of think they need to be there uh, next season if the Pirates really want to take uh, a step forward. Maybe we'll get Maria Garcia Lopez getting some more time like you wanted, Jimmy, um, if they decide not to come back. Maybe she'll fill the role of Cassie Harrigan. But um, – I, I personally think that these two need to be back if the if the team really wants to make some strides next year. But um, I guess we'll see what happens because that's all the questions I have for you guys. Thank you, everyone, to listening, everyone for listening to this episode of Pirate Rewind. Once again, I'm your host Ryan Johnston, joined by the lovely Jimmy Bliss and the always prolific Louis Pasquale. Thank you all for listening wherever you're listening. Uh, be back and stay tuned for next week because I'm sure we'll have another great episode. Thanks for tuning in.